0: I'm your host, Paul Wicker, and this is the PPC Show, brought to you by AdStage. In this episode, we met Andrew Goodman. He was the author of one of the very first, if not the very first, ebook on AdWords back in 2002. He's now the founder and CEO of an agency out of Canada called Page Zero, and we got into quite a bit of AdWords news. We talked about bid adjustments and expanded text ads, and then we hopped over to the social side and talked about Facebook's launch of their new Facebook for Business product and all the news around Twitter's recent almost acquisition. We record the show every Tuesday, 10 a.m. out of the AdStage headquarters. If you want more of it, you can find it on SoundCloud or iTunes. And if you want all the headlines in ad tech, head over to blog.adstage.io. Enjoy the episode. We're here with Andrew Goodman from Page Zero on the PPC show this week. Uh, talk about bid adjustments, we're going to talk about expanded text ads, and then get into some of the headlines from this week. So thank you, Andrew, for coming on today. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so before we get into some of these topics, we always like to little, uh, learn a little bit more about who's on the show and kind of how you ended up in this crazy world of paid. So maybe you can give us the uh, how Andrew Goodman landed in uh, PPC.
1: Well, I uh, I got a Ph.D. Uh, not quite completed in political science, so if I had done that in, in, in the 1970s, I'd be a full professor right now with a bunch of books and droning on about something.
0: Yeah, and um, think of the think of the pension you'd have by now. <laughs>
1: right, right. And, and my wife actually um, did make it through and is a professor of political science, and uh, the pension's a little different, a little, a little slightly different. You contribute more and get less, so... <laughs>
0: pensions have changed well this and you're, you're in you're in Canada right Yep, yeah, correct so maybe the pension yeah. systems are different I, I'm sure pensions here are terrible no one of uh, my generation has a pension anymore because you know they don't exist they just tell you the 401k right. uh, I'm yeah, always picture sure. schools yeah. as one of the last you know if you work for a university you have you still have a pension yeah they really are although
1: the, the yeah anyway long story short they, they have changed the, the nature of those pensions uh, Uh, From, what what is it, Uh, uh, defined benefit to shared risk, (laughs) it just means less paid out and um, more goes in uh, for everyone uh, coming along, you know, nowadays.
0: Well, that stinks. I thought that was the, the highlight, working for the government in school, you got a good pension, but now I'll have to update my thinking. Uh, so you you didn't make it as a uh, political science professor. I actually did my undergrad also in political science at George Washington, so we share that in common. Although I never even attempted to get a Ph.D. Uh, and <laughs> how did you end up going from uh, politics to marketing?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I I think this is a good advice for anyone you know trying to think of a, a different thing to do with their life. Um, I uh, sort of run experiments in the background, and I, I knew the job market was, was tight, and I didn't realize just how tight it was going to be, um, uh, but you know, you can dabble even in those days, I mean, dabbling uh, you know, online meant learning HTML, and um, it meant reading uh, some of the uh, magazines that uh, promised, uh, uh, you know, Fast Company and Wired. and uh, business 2.0 is actually uh, at the height of the dot-com bubble something called business 2.0 was something you'd read and you'd say you'd read all these flow charts and say well that business model is so disruptive <laughs> but you'd have no idea really how to get into this field unless you came from uh, a few blocks away from your friend's startup and what do you do um, anyway I um, wound up through one way or another starting up a content site really just a blog called traffic.com with a friend uh, and uh, that friend is Corey Kleinschmidt, who still heads up SEO uh, at our company. Um, but it, it was a way to meet people, and um, meeting people uh, resulted in um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, actually a lot of attention at the time. So, you know, you can start up content today and, and no one will notice you maybe, but uh, um, we were uh, admirers of Search Engine Watch, which Danny Sullivan started up back in 98. Mm-hmm. and um, And we tried to do this, uh, write on things that he didn't write about. Um, And I wound up meeting some people and helping them sell a search engine company to another company, Um, although I know nothing about finance. um, And it was a small payday for uh, me, but really big in comparison with my, my student loan bill. Um, so I, it convinced me that I knew something and that I was interested enough to uh, study how to improve on the, uh, the I guess, the mishmash of um, shady-seeming SEO services that were um, were kind of popping up at the time. So I tried to figure out what to do. And uh, AdWords hadn't even been, been launched yet. So just a, about the time I was thinking of releasing white papers and... And launching a two-person agency, um, I shifted to paid when paid came out because I just liked it that much. I, I liked AdWords for the um, the power of rotating the ads, self-serve, testing it on your own, and the the power of click-through rates being a determinant of your pricing um, was pretty interesting to us at the time.
0: And let me just add a little history for folks who don't know, because when Danny Sullivan, so Danny Sullivan, obviously is one of the you know, maybe him and Matt Cutts are the two people in the AdWords world that have been around for a very long time and everybody kind of reads and watches. Although I feel like, um, Danny Sullivan writes more about his drone these days than, than AdWords, but, oh, really? um, he, he used to be with search engine watch and then he left search engine watch and started his own company, search engine land and his own kind of set of conferences. And that's why, and then, uh, I know that that was like the big split, the great schism of paid search like 10 years ago. And it became very much a who are you going to go follow? Uh, Anyway, so a little piece of history for people who are new to paid and follow uh, search engine land or search engine watch. Uh, Anyway, and also I'm going to resist asking you political questions. Uh, Obviously, we're we're approaching our big election day and I vowed to not talk about Trump in any of these podcasts. So uh, we will not talk about Trump. I am, I am not moving my lips. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so then you, I mean, you really got in on the ground floor of paid. And around what year was that?
1: It was the ground floor. Uh, AdWords uh, Select, as they called it, uh, was launched in '02. in, I believe, approximately March 2002. They had tried a, a failed version of AdWords prior to that that, uh, that offered CPM-based pricing rather than clicks. Three fixed prices, based on your position on the page, didn't work, wasn't an auction, Um, and it just didn't make them much money, and the new version worked great, Uh, and so when I came along, I was just experimenting with it. For a couple of, I guess you'd call them clients and friends, and uh, I, I read on some forums. I mean, if we to <laughs> dig back into this, uh, there were people on on forums um, that, that had that held stock in the main PPC pure play at the time, which was a predecessor to Yahoo, uh, Yahoo's uh, PPC, uh, and that was uh, called Overture. And prior to that was GoTo. People said Overture was easy to understand, that AdWords was a failure, um, and so I just argued with them, and that led to about an eight-page ebook that I put up for. Uh, uh, at first for free and then I studied how to sell ebooks. <laughs> and I read some books on how to uh, um, seed uh, influencers and hubs and so forth with uh, uh, who would might be able to advocate your uh, your material so I sold it for $49 or $69 and it became very long it became 70 pages plus um, plus plus and uh, uh, it was very timely at the time um, people uh, were failing at, at at it, you know, they'd they'd get their ads disabled and, you know, all kinds of things would go wrong because people didn't understand how to do it. So it was always uh, fun to teach people something when you're just one step ahead, which I literally was.
0: And so you literally wrote one of the first kind of textbooks on AdWords. Well, what has become AdWords?
1: Yeah, it was definitely the first. uh, The the next one, actually, that ever came along um, that was also kind of ebook form, uh, informal, not published. Uh, was by Perry Marshall, and that was eighteen months later. So early I had uh, had an unbroken uh, you
0: know uh, pipeline to people picking up that information for for that long. Wow, that's great. I mean to be Perry by a, a year and a half is impressive. Um, so fast forward a few decades uh, or at least a decade and a half. Um, and so now you're running page zero, your own agency up in Canada. is that correct?
1: Yeah, and uh, that's been really s- the same thing we've been doing uh, since then, since those days. So uh, uh, nothing too much has uh, has changed in, in a broad sense. Uh, we just obviously you, you, you gain people and you you worry about how you can retain good people and, and have a kind of s- sense of professionalism to it. And, and uh, in a world where um, obviously uh, instead of there being, you know, 50 or 100 people um, shops to choose from. There are 10,000 shops to choose from. So, so uh, a lot of people want to be certified. People want to listen to uh, what Google has to say in their trainings, and you know it's grown a thousandfold.
0: The, um, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it was just, you got me thinking about um, agencies and hiring. So we talked to a number of founders of agencies, um, and you know, it seems like there's this constant channel uh, challenge of trying to find and retain good talent, and you kind of mentioned that. So I'm wondering, you know, you've been running an agency now for a while. Uh, do you have any good good tips for those kind of small independent agencies that are maybe three or four folks? They're looking to bring on a few more, either PPC or social experts. Uh, any tips for those folks?
1: Yeah, I, I mean. Um you, I think what you have to do is is think of it as uh, you, you know you're not just hiring some undifferentiated helper. Um, you're going to have to figure out where is it that people are particularly passionate to do specifically this, uh, and you know they may not have any experience, but um, but the, it would help if they uh, they were you know highly qualified and motivated. So where do you find that? Uh, you know who knows? Obviously you're looking uh, for us. We've we've tended to look. Um, to people right out of school. Now, that being said, you gotta know, know what school might have that kind of person. Uh, uh, but so that's, it just so it's gonna take a lot of patience. So in hindsight, this is something I wouldn't have known going in. In hindsight, why we have uh, retained our great people, I think, is, is that we focus on them individually. You know, we, we bring them along at one at a time. We, we don't treat them like a cookie cutter. Uh, uh, we, we, um, we know them as people and, and their strengths and weaknesses. Um, but I think we, we do have a culture and most agencies have a culture and, um, you know, in our case, uh, obviously you don't want to be all about, you know, um, just boring people to death with how good you are or how much money you make. Um, I would say it has to be fun. Um, but that's not, I don't think the fun culture per se is what has legs. I think at the end of the day, any motivational kind of research will show you that if you go to bed at night knowing you've you really worked hard and, and, and lived up to your potential and challenged yourself in, in support of some kind of cause that you believe in, um, whether that's just being the best, most efficient AdWords manager in the world and winning for your clients or something else, um, that seems to work. So that we, we raise a standard, um, we ask people to expect more of themselves, and and that's why they're proud of what they do.
0: Excellent advice. Uh, appreciate that little side trip down the hiring uh, hiring path. Um, Another kind of somewhat out of the blue question about reporting. Uh, I know that for agencies, usually reporting is one of the big kind of pain points. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, in terms of like in the old days, well, I don't know, five years ago, everybody was sending automated PDF reports with some generic information, maybe like once a month. Um, And then I've heard from a lot of agencies now they're moving towards online dashboards and kind of more interactive reporting. Can you give me maybe the kind of short version of what you guys do in terms of reporting? Is it still a huge time suck for you guys or uh, just a general kind of state of the union on reporting?
1: Sure. And that's, that's your company, right? (laughs) That's what you you guys focus on.
0: We do a lot of different things, but uh, we do, we're like a, you know, full creation management uh, platform for search and social, but. Okay,
1: So, but uh, as far as reporting goes from your website, it seems like that's a, a good chunk of it anyway.
0: Yeah, it's the, um, well, the last product we launched. So we launched a reporting product, and uh, and we put a bunch of PDF stuff in it. But now I talk to folks, and they're like, eh, we don't do PDFs anymore. So I'm wondering if we should just stop doing so much work to support PDFs. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. Um, so it's 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 um, I think it's really uh, a texture it re- really into how the client relationship works kind of a thing. Uh, so yes, we do. Um, I I want to make sure that our clients all understand that we have a uh, a deliverable, a specific kind of uh, predictable routine. So usually, on top of any other kind of communication, we stick to a monthly report um, and. You know, we have used Quizio for that in the past. They, they started out pretty much only doing reporting. Um, you know, it's, it's not, you know, way better than some other tool, or it's not way worse. Uh, uh, but what, certainly the idea of saving time to have a template that you can easily adjust and also that will suck all your data in uh, quickly. Um, the graphics, if you want to, you know, if you want to put it the time in to uh, choose from which graphical format seems to tell the story the best. Um, Then we use that, um, you know, on the other hand, for a quick and dirty uh, summary of something, we might use another tool. Uh, We might go and use uh, uh, Optimizer that, you know, we just like one of the screens or something and and send a screenshot. Um, So the monthly is, is I think, yeah, you know, everyone does say it's a time suck. Even with tools, it does take up some time. Uh, And I do it myself. So I have a couple of accounts I still manage. I'm retired from managing accounts. And, um, yeah, uh, I I guess it's somewhere in between reporting enough (laughs) uh, and not reporting, uh, you know, too much or whatever. I I mean, I could do much longer reports, um, but uh, I don't think the client's clamoring for it. But um, certainly to have the tool uh, helps a lot. You're just updating your commentary and the data every month. And you um, well, beyond that, a lot of clients like uh, other things. They like some kind of uh, text-based or spreadsheet-based report, or they want something in their own dash, um, or they they just want to hear from you every week. Um, so a lot of people have different ways of looking at it.
0: And it's admirable that you are continuing to manage some of your own accounts, ones you've had for a long time that you didn't want to give up, or you just you still enjoy it.
1: Yeah, that's exactly uh, the kind of thing uh, they are. Uh, the relationship has worked really well. Um, oftentimes they start out small, and it's like you don't feel like, you know, building something up from very low dollars to really good dollars, and then handing it off. You <laughs> feel like you're earning your keep too, even if you run the agency. So um, yeah, that, that's that's right. They're not. It's not uh, a huge, um, huge uh, scale, uh, but it's. Uh, it's I really enjoy it I still
0: do I feel like at every agency there's those few usually early clients that have just kind of stuck with the agency forever and they have that you know that great relationship um, and you often see there's just you know we almost talk about them all the time so um, you know at at kind of an agency I worked at in uh, Westchester New York um, it was like a home improvement company and like their jingle is like still in my head because we were <laughs> – you know, whenever it's, you know, talking about anything and we had like client name, we would fill in these like two or three companies and that home improvement company is uh, still seared into my brain from like, you know, 15 years ago. Um, yeah, you know, that's all we think about
1: is our clients, you know, when we all have quirky things that we do in our brain. <laughs> we had a um, <clears throat> um, one-time uh, pharmaceutical, um, uh, I guess, up uh, the partner agency that, that farmed out AdWords to us, and it was a, a medication for excessive sweating, uh, and it was called hi- hyperhidrosis, <laughs> nice. um, using Botox uh, injections. And of course, so when we communicated internally about the client, we always just
0: called it sweaty. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> uh, sweaty. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about some of, uh, some of these AdWords topics we want to get to today. Um, On that note, making me sweat a little bit. Uh, So, bid adjustments was one of them. Uh, There's a million bid adjustments you can run on an adverts campaign. Um, And often, folks are unsure where to start in terms of uh, should I start with some location bid adjustments or should I do scheduling? And are they going to kind of multiply into a million dollar bid? Um, What are some of the common bid adjustments that you guys use on your accounts? Um, or what's some of the, maybe the method you, you approach to trying to figure out which bid adjustments you should start with?
1: Yeah, well, let's, uh, kind of tick them off quickly if they can be ticked off quickly. Uh, and by the way, that, that now, speaking of sweating, the, the multiply them all together or get some huge bid thing has never occurred to me. So, cause I, I trust it so implicitly that uh, now I'm just thinking, yeah, what if we hit the, just some sort of glitch and, and, and. You know, 16% multiplied by 32% is some kind of Easter egg in Google that gives them all the money.
0: I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it just direct deposits your account. I will say, and I have to look this up, um, a combined bid adjustment cannot exceed a 900% bid increase. So no matter <laughs> what, you can't go over 900%. Uh,
1: so a day parting I think is one that people should start off with the idea that uh, and obviously unless you run a business that's closed and you know you're losing money and if it's top of mind great but if you're not sure where to start leave leave uh, scheduling aside you know for the time being I think it can provide a lift um, but you should get used to the idea that um, you know search volume is going to drop off at night um, so you're, whenever you're doing any kind of bit adjustment um, obviously it has to do with the strangeness that behavior changes and that conversion rates change. That's a hard thing to get your head around. Why don't they, you know, why do they search <laughs> if they're not the same propensity to convert to a sale? And for, you know, for whatever reason, um, we believe that even if maybe some of it speaks to latent conversion, right? So that's, that's the problem about getting over exuberant with uh, all uh, adjustments is maybe these kinds of people are just, Planning to switch devices, or or email
0: their spouse and think about it, and then buy anyway, right? So I mean, that's the danger with all this stuff, right? Is um, mm-hmm. we we overthink how much we know about the kind of user journey and attribution, and we and you might end up with an unintended consequence of turning off your top of funnel because you say, well, I get no conversions at three a.m., but maybe that's a great top of funnel
1: right so that that might lead to a kind of a, a stance one might want to take unless you're really cer- certain of something uh... and that is uh... you know don't uh, don't feel you have to adjust all the way and so if you're adjusting everything to hit the same exact kpi uh, then of course that's hard to make a rule for but informally yeah that at least the scheduling part may be an example of an area where you just kind of have kid gloves and don't over overthink uh... You know, device is also uh, hugely subjective. Um, I think if you're getting killed on mobile, and you know, you're getting killed on tablet, then you can see it, don't, don't make excuses for it. Um, but certainly you might not manage them to the same KPIs. Uh, and, and now that all three devices are biddable in AdWords, uh, or device types, uh, tablet, smartphone, and, uh, and computer, um, the, one of the interesting things is we didn't have that computer adjustment before. And it, it's tempting, right, if the if the overall aggressiveness level of a campaign is, is fluctuating throughout the month or throughout a season, why not use that as a complete catch-all? Just the, the fastest thing you can do to a campaign, the laziest way to change the overall uh, aggressiveness level would be to just use um, device adjustments. And I'd actually recommend that, you know, time saver, uh, look at that first. Uh, and then next up is is the whole rabbit hole of geo bid adjustments and that one you know we could go on all day but um, one thing to, 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 to say is Look at the past data. You can look that up in AdWords uh, where my users were and so on and uh, and so you could you could come up with some initial anomalous uh, geo areas um, and you know look at all of the state uh, you know metro area um, look at different things because just you know just that adjusting for let Let's say all 50 states or picking 30 states might not be all that helpful um, you know you may have different performance in c- c- cities and towns and um, than you do in the rest of the state and so you really have to you know do your homework But then uh, you also want to save time um, So you know start slow maybe look at um, eight or ten anomalous regions or cities to bid them up or down um, and if you feel like branching out if you, you know if you're really ambitious then of course you can go all the way to zip codes and things like that um, the problem is getting statistically significant data once you get into these little these little segments um, you, you get fooled a lot by the random the randomness
0: of the behavior right yeah that's a good point you if you end up so coming from a background where we sold search to a lot of kind of small businesses, they very often wanted these very local targeted kind of radiuses around their business or zip codes. Um, and A, they, you know, you're over, uh, you have too much confidence in Google's ability to geotarget at the time. That's probably now that so much of the traffic is mobile, 50% is mobile. They know pretty well where you are when you're on your phone, uh, and they're probably better at desktop, but still... You know, uh, if you you know if you look at your web analytics, you'll see traffic from all over the place, and you'll be like, that's funny. You know, I targeted <laughs> the United States, and I have uh, AdWords traffic from Russia. Uh, so there's still some variability in like the quality of targeting. And then, like you said, if you're not if you don't have some unlimited budget, if you're not like a Fortune 500, then you know if you're getting one conversion from a geo every day, it's going to be very hard to tell if you're getting better or worse if you make changes to your uh, your bid adjustments.
1: Yep, agreed, agreed. Um, I, I do tend to look at it and you know, working in the Canadian market may be an advantage in some ways uh, especially if uh, people are less motivated to do geo or um, if you're very familiar with a lot of corners <laughs> of either your own region or your whole country and you kind of know how people behave and you want to stereotype a little bit at first as a hypothesis you know this whole region they just don't like these products. or. Uh, this this part of town is is uh, low income and of course income data um, Can be useful uh, you can always look that stuff up um, But it doesn't always speak to spending patterns of course uh, spending patterns can be de- relate to Wants and needs and stage of life and uh, uh, whether you have kids or you don't have kids and, and all the rest
0: so you hit on the kind of uh, the big three bit adjustments um, There's two others that are GDN, kind of only, YouTube and GDN, which I've never used, to be honest, Uh, top content and targeting methods, which lets you uh, put bid adjustments on uh, anything that's deemed top content on YouTube or the Display Network or the targeting methods, bid adjustment will let you bid on uh, topics and placements differently. Uh, And then, of course, you have RLSA. I don't know how much you layer RLSA on top of your other targeting.
1: Yeah, those are all interesting wrinkles and we start to get into you know um, features that are like so like AdWords is just heavy with <laughs> all of these powerful capabilities now um, I guess the danger is when people race to do those things first or or fairly top of mind um, because they're uh, you know they're bored in their job <laughs> they want to show off it's probably not a good reason to do these things um, uh, so with anything GDN I, I think you know topics and placements and all the rest whether you're using keyword uh, triggers or whether you're using the themes that Google um, provides and, and uh, all of that has evolved over the years. I, I mean we don't we tend not to see great performance uh, very often so if it's a performance based you know you prepare yourself for disappointment I guess um, and and then you mentioned top content I, I really unless I'm shown uh, you know I've, I've turned it up <laughs> I've tried it. And I just don't have any evidence that's come to me that says, "Hey, you know what? That gives me you know, better ROI." It's probably the opposite. So, uh, you know, I guess again, some things are more for agencies and large advertisers. Perhaps uh, you hear about all of the things going on with, you know, consumer package goods companies and their huge budgets that are moving over. They have to put it somewhere, and it's got to be online, and that's all they know. So, I, I don't know if it's for everyone.
0: Yeah, top content sounds counterintuitive. Like if my content is already at the top, why would I then want to raise my bid? I'm sure <laughs> it's being capped in some way, uh, because they can't monetize it, but it, yeah, it definitely sounds counterintuitive, but you can picture a big brand, like you said, saying, yep, if my, if I'm trending or if I'm top content, that's when I really want to dump money in to get you know, reach and frequency and all that fun stuff. Sure.
1: Sure. Um, RLSA, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, I think a lot of people, when that when that came out, um, really thought of it as a really specialized kind of a thing, uh, low volume. Why would I use it? Uh, and now it's become almost commonplace to layer it, like you say. Uh, why not have it enabled? Uh, not even have a dedicated campaign. Why not um, stick audiences into your regular search campaigns and uh, and just. You know, bid them up or down by a, by a, a factor. And now you're doing both. You're, you're advertising to people the same way um, from the initial click or if they were part of your audience earlier. Um, you know, yes, <laughs> uh, it seems to be the way things are headed. I, I guess um, we don't want to go all the way there. Um, I think we feel like we're doing too much remarketing in some cases. It can be... Overall, for your overall cost to acquire a customer across all the clicks now you're paying for, I think you need to be careful. Um, uh, Obviously, we like uh, audiences and we like remarketing, but uh, caution is
0: warranted. That's a good. uh... Uh, And
1: you know, then we didn't cover the one uh, advanced thing that just came out, and that is demographics for search ads, uh, which is uh, uh, another one that I think um, people are fine with with setting aside, but it could be very exciting for some folks to uh, to uh, find, uh, again, uh, in pockets of inefficiency if you will, uh, you know, men who just like to search for something but don't buy, or uh, older people or younger people, so it's usually not the case, you know, you usually don't find huge, huge uh, advantages, but sometimes you do, and, and that extra 5% efficiency is, is, is to the bottom line, so. Uh,
0: yeah the uh, demographic targeting always I it's, it goes back to that maybe we don't know as much as we think we know um, where especially on Google like you have such strong intent with keywords that to start Agreed. playing the game of well give me 31 to 45 year olds that like you know this TV show um, starts to feel a little bit too far removed from what Google is good at of course I always think search when I think of Google and AdWords. I don't necessarily think GDN, so I'm sure on GDN uh, it's just like a social network where, sure, I just want this demographic because I there are no keywords or, you know, there's just your best guess at the kind of context of the page. Um, but I always get nervous when I see people doing too much based on demographics. Uh, and in all the social networks there's like some chart on, on their native tool somewhere where they show you like performance by interest and age group and and gender and i always ask marketers like what do you do with that you know other than just go yep. well, let me show the boss <laughs> that's how we're doing oh
1: it. absolutely absolutely yeah. it's good for a high level uh, look at us <laughs> yeah it, it gives you a, here are our characteristics here's what we, what we're all about and it, it's nice in a pie chart
0: and I think it used to be like I always assumed it would kind of go away as we got more kind of search-like in our behavior where, well, we don't really care about these broad demographics. We care about, you know, keywords and intent and uh, people have been to our site and put stuff in the shopping cart. But it seems like AdWords is realizing if you want to sell to some of these agencies, you probably need to speak their language a bit more.
1: Well, it, in some ways, it, it does uh, behave similarly to what we've always done um, with keywords when they're not working. Uh, we always call them tire kickers. How are we getting these tire kickers with this keyword or this match type and yet not with this other one? It's all pretty good intent. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'm already using uh, demographics for you know uh, as many clients as I, I can, not much data yet. Uh, yet. Um, so we have a B2B uh, but low price B2B kind of uh, client where, Let's say about half the people using it are uh, in some kind of performance or band or a, a club or something, and a lot of them would be uh, younger. Um, so what we're finding is is older people are searching, and for why are they searching? Um, they might have a different use case in mind, and they just a little slower to pull the trigger on the product. Okay. And so, yep, you know, 18 to 34, uh, we increase bids because we want those leads and we're not bidding high enough as it is. Uh and so that works. It gives you a little more efficiency.
0: All right. Great example of uh of how to use the new demographic uh, bid adjustments. Uh, so, uh let's let's talk a little bit about expanded text ads. We won't beat them up too much because I think uh, you know, the fury around them has kind of come and passed, but I did just want <clears throat> to touch on them now that people have largely started migrating their ads or maybe even finished um, anything you've kind of uh, noticed from your your move to Expanded Tech Stands?
1: Um, yeah, I'm happy to to reflect on that. Um, and you mentioned that uh, I'd love to know what others are hearing too, to be honest. Uh, you mentioned something about the theory behind it has come and passed,
0: as you want to
1: did well, it's just
0: the, the, sorry, the fury. There was that like, oh, you know, the
1: fury or the, the fury. fury. Okay, right. I thought there was a theory. No, <laughs> Google never tells us what the theory is.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, I will say you, you mentioned bid adjustments on different devices. Obviously, the expanded text ads makes it easier to kind of write ads for multiple devices. So that may make some of your bid adjustments uh, by device a little less important than it used to be when you needed that mobile preferred ad and things along those lines. But. Uh, no, I have no theory. Just uh, you couldn't, yeah. you know, throw a rock without hitting an article about expended, uh, expanded expanded mm-hmm. about a month ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's at least half of it. Right there is, um, uh, uh, is you know, it, the first iteration of Google trying to encourage us to uh, perform a little less badly, as opposed to perform better. On phones was the mobile preferred ad and um, you know that was clunky Um, now it's certainly not outperforming ETAs uh, usually and then other times it does so you don't kind of watch but um, it's it's like almost this idea of a responsive website you know it's a responsive ad Google actually for display now has something they even call a responsive ad which It's a whole separate <laughs> topic, but yeah, something that just you throw in there and it will, it will adapt to the device is a real help, a time saver, and it does seem that um, you know when you go in and look at what's been causing problems with a particular product with particular ads, often it just comes down to mobile, um, and so now that actually that performance has upticked, it does feel like. Um, it's improved and uh, and and CTRs go up and all that. So you're in that, like you said, there's a fury to to fix your ads and get them up to code. And and in in this, I think in a scenario where um, anyone's doing the new thing, you know, adding ad extensions or doing what Google asks, if you do it first, you are getting a better quality score ultimately. Uh, you know, more screen real estate, and so the the slow movers are uh, are losing out.
0: Great, and the. Um I guess in terms of moving over, do you feel like, are you kind of just committed to moving everything over to expand to text ads as soon as possible, or are you, you know, kind of measuring some of the performance differences and and hanging on? How are you doing that?
1: Yeah, we're not hanging on, but we're also in no hurry. Um, I think people misinterpret. Uh, first of all, yeah, it, you know, you if you have a large account um, and you know that at some point it will be completely sunset at the old ads. Then, like, you're going to have to already have figured out. But by by going into AdWords editor, I can immediately comply or whatever method you want to use to get them all in uh, in there. But um, I don't think that's the concern. I think it's really just that for now, Google is um, is saying, you know, you won't be able to add any of the legacy ad types. Uh, the old ads won't won't work after January, so you, you won't be able to add new ones. Uh, which is fine with us. We, we do no longer uh, use any legacy ads, so as far as that goes, we don't create any new ads that aren't ETAs. Um, yeah, so we're p- picking away at just uh, it's a new opportunity. Um, y- y- there's sort of these, these times don't come along. You get ads that you can never find a, a significantly better ad than you know the, the old ads you have, and so you kind of test a little bit. Uh, but there's no opportunity to throw it open again and say, let's retest. <laughs> let's, let's get new ideas in there. Um, so this is that opportunity and you're going to burn a few dollars uh, you know, going into a new testing phase, but you come out stronger at the other end.
0: Google also wins the worst acronym award for now taking ETA and turning it into a, a new acronym. Right. What's your ETA? Yeah. Right. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit and talk uh, social. There's a few headlines uh, over the past few weeks, especially around Twitter. Uh, and we had seen that you tweeted a few times about uh, your um, your suggestion that there might be a few billionaires out there that uh, might might pull the trigger. Turned out that they did not and now Twitter is uh, quote-unquote reeling in terms of their stock price, now down um, 35% against its uh, original IPO price. I think the stock is bouncing around $18 or something like that. Um, what's your – Up today. Up today from its, uh, its 16-something yesterday. Oh, really? All right. Someone owns some stock, I think. Wait a minute. Are <laughs> you trying to move the market?
1: Uh, <laughs> You know, actually, I have a uh, full disclosure, I have bought and sold Twitter occasionally, mainly on thinking it was either undervalued or, or not, and um, uh, certainly when uh, the rumor came and I woke up and I had a few dollars in my account, I was like, okay, i got to get rid of this. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not one of those people crying that I uh,
0: chased after that. Uh, ah, nice, book. you dumped it appropriately. Um, a few things worth, worth noting, I think uh, some of the folks who were in, you know, Disney was interested, Apple was interested, Google and Salesforce, all three, uh, the, everyone pulled out except Salesforce, you know, Benioff kind of flirted a little bit longer than most folks, then the Salesforce stock <laughs> tanked a bit, and then Benioff was like, no, no, we're out, we don't want Twitter, and then uh, and things leveled off over there at Salesforce, um, and Twitter also um, kind of well, so first off, I should say, and their announcements for their uh, Q um, what is it? Q2, Q3. Their Q3 earnings are due out soon, I think, in next week. So we'll see if they get pummeled some more, or they make make a turn for the better. But curious, you know, your thoughts. Twitter is an ad platform. Do you think we'll still be advertising on Twitter in the next three to five years, or is this kind of their their last chance to do something with Twitter?
1: Yeah, I mean, a long time ago, and I'm not—I'm not sure if you can—you can even be right when you write something three or four years ago. You know, look at how much has changed around Twitter. Uh, but a long time ago, I did feel pretty strongly that it—even if they managed to get to an IPO, that they weren't uh, a standalone company. Uh, they were a, a company we a lot of us love. I, I love Twitter, um, but yet, you know, at the end of the day, is it really? Something that stands alone as an ad platform, another place you go to buy ads, um, as opposed to you know in your online journey, uh, you know a lot of us have felt like well Google kind of made a partnership with them and you know uh, it, there was some integration there. You wonder if if uh, yeah so you you wonder if they could should just keep powering ahead. We'll layer more things on like Facebook does. We'll layer on video. We'll we'll try to keep interesting people in coming back and. Uh, Oh, what would it look like, though, folding into uh, a Google um, is a is a tough question, obviously, to answer. And, and there aren't many intuitive places uh, for a Twitter to go um, in terms of integration. Uh, I mean, Microsoft's just th- th- done this LinkedIn deal. So apparently there are things that seem to make sense that you it's, you can still integrate. Um, and so the, I think the only reason Microsoft wouldn't be in, involved in this is they're they're probably so busy with, with that deal, you know, and, and that integration.
0: Yeah, um, yeah a few places Salesforce can... would
1: have made no sense to me, uh, uh, you know, for, for users and for advertisers, you're kind of looking at, well, no, that'll be a nightmare if it's in Salesforce, but presumably it won't help us.
0: Yeah, from the ad side, um, well, you know, back in the day, I used to work with a company trying to compete with Google Local, so you had Google Maps first kind of coming out and then starting to put local listing ads and trying all these different ad formats and maps. And it basically killed the whole kind of yellow page segment and all these local listing kind of optimization companies because, you know, sooner or later, like 90% of people just use Google maps or I'm making up that number, but some large number. Um, and I remember the guy who was running BD for this network saying, you know, basically we're all fighting for Google scraps and there's only so many searches for a local business. And you know, I just, there's nobody left for me to slap together into a network. Um, so I would think in that with that same mindset for kind of uh, social news or social kind of event uh, kind of product, you know, there's only so many eyeballs that are going to go out and look at these different properties. And Google or Twitter does have, I mean, even though their user base doesn't compete with a Facebook at one point, whatever it is, six billion or something, um, it's still a huge set of eyeballs that are looking at ads every day. Yeah. So yeah, Google and Microsoft, I'm like you said, I think Microsoft's busy with LinkedIn. And prob- maybe they were even kicking themselves because I think uh, you get a lot more eyeballs with Twitter than you do with uh, LinkedIn. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm amazed that Google left the table. I really thought they would want those impressions. Imagine it in AdWords. I mean, that would generate a billion dollars in revenue overnight. Yeah, and uh, I think for a lot of us, the
1: uh, integration uh, you know as far as buying the ads goes um, how would they define it <laughs> they're gonna smuggle some of it into keyword advertising we, we would hope not uh, so you know that's all I, I think they're I'm just we're reactive right we're, we're agencies are uh, even if we, we were proactive and great innovators 10 years ago at some point we just react there are people at Google who probably have great ideas for what some how you would buy or or you know target that um, but the, the, the question is, do you lump it in with something they already have? Does it become a part of uh, a, a display or keyword buy or, does it, you know, YouTube's a kind of a separate buy? So it, even within Google, it's um, it, it's cumbersome to, uh, to buy all of these different things.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. With YouTube, still it's not as seamless as you'd want it to be, um, although it's pretty good now, but it took like 10 years to get YouTube integrated. Um, but yeah, I just, I think of how well Facebook did with the Instagram acquisition, where that went, you know, Instagram instantly generated uh, like significant revenue because marketers, you know, were largely lazy when it comes to trying new stuff. Yeah. So it was like, oh, click this button and we'll put all your stuff on Instagram. Sure, you can write better ads and sure you can change, you know, create new campaigns with different bid strategies, but just opt in and, and see how it goes. And a lot of people did. And... Um, that was way easier than convincing a bunch of marketers to go learn a new platform. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. So looking at it that way, um, it's very easy to to imagine that that Twitter revenue would double under Google, uh, need not very long a a period of time. Um, so if, if, if Twitter's price to sales ratio currently is four something, uh, then it dropped to two. Um, so it seems to me that, um, you know, it's, it is a good value. I think in Google, it would be a you know a bad
0: acquisition for someone else. Yeah, um, cool. And then I did notice that Twitter has a new UI, a new ad UI in beta. So they are still investing in their ads product. So it looks like um, despite all this kind of noise, the ads team is still busy you know building improvements on their UI. So that's good news.
1: Yeah. Well, once they turned the corner and had had enough headcount and enough dollars, uh,
0: I mean that things really
1: changed, as they did with Facebook.
0: Uh, One other piece I wanted to mention that came up in the news uh, as you bring up Facebook, um, you know, someone at Facebook, I'm trying to think where I got this from, TechCrunch. Somebody at Facebook was basically saying, look, we're going to be at uh, kind of fully maximize the number of impressions we can get from the news feed next year. So we're like kind of out of room on the news feed because we don't want to spam it. So now they're looking for other places to go get inventory, and one of them is uh, groups. So they're going to start putting – they're testing, I think in Canada and and Australia, they're testing ads in groups, um, which, again, is very kind of germane to the conversation we just had, instant access to more inventory. Um, Have you seen them? Have you seen ads in the wild? I don't know if you, you use groups, but have you seen the Facebook ads in the wild up there in groups? I don't really pay attention to the ads, to
1: be honest. Uh, I pay attention to them in general and if we're running them. But uh, as far as ads and groups, I haven't looked. Um, but I, I guess I like the concept. Um, you know, certainly, yeah, uh, Any anytime you can identify a group and, and, and make it easier as, as opposed to guessing with contextual targeting, that you could identify who they are. Um, well, give me an example if you want, but... Uh, let's say it's a a large, uh, uh, you know, uh, fishing (laughs) club or something like that, right? It just becomes so much easier. You don't just know that there are individuals loosely interested in something. You know what they kind of stand for.
0: And given their marketplace product they just launched, um, Facebook says they have 450 million people using buy and sell groups, which are, you know, groups that kind of self-organized around buying and selling things. They rolled out their marketplace feature, which was in the news quite a bit because uh, it was quickly filled up with illegal and uh, immoral goods that people were selling like their children and guns and uh, silly things like that. But um, they fixed fixed that up and relaunched it. So it does seem like they are, uh, they realize this opportunity. You have a lot of people getting together to do commerce or to share information about specific interests. So why not? Let folks target that. Between that and the uh, Instagram inventory, they're also adding some as uh, considering interstitials in live video, so if people use Facebook Live. Um, so they're really trying to drum up impressions, or at least build a, a roadmap for more impressions over the next two years.
1: Uh, I mean, you know, in part, all of this. Well, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is is we know these functions exist. Outside of places like Facebook, and you got these giant monopolies like Google and Facebook, that are going to say, "Well, look, I mean, we will execute that same idea—the you know, uh, Craigslist or Kijiji idea—we'll um, execute on it. And since we have all the users, then you know, how far can it go? Um, you know, maybe it doesn't go as far as we think because people want to put it in their mind in a separate bucket, and they want to say, "Well, Kijiji, something else. I don't know." Um, um, and, but it's also a hedge, obviously. Um, y- you know, when you're, all your eggs are in one kind of revenue basket, one type of ad or one, a, a small family of just ad-supported stuff, um, then uh, that's, that's just one business model. It's very vulnerable. Uh, I think Google, being who they are, they, they don't seem vulnerable. Um, but, you know, advertising itself, uh, is, is a very partial. So we saw the collapse of some kinds of offline advertising already. Um, and you hear a lot of from Google, from Microsoft, and from Apple about how to make all these devices function for us as consumers and, and have nothing to do with ads. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's interesting to think that someone as big as Google or Facebook might be vulnerable, um, but advertising is a very one-sided kind of a, a business model at the end of the day.
0: You know, that's true. I never really questioned just the general paradigm of an ad-supported product X. You know, um, I expect my Gmail to be free and my search to be free and and now my storage more or less to be free. Um, So that whole, well, if we put ads on it, it could be free model really hasn't been challenged that aggressively yet. But to your point, uh, it can be. And if someone finds a better model, then uh, those businesses certainly are uh, at risk because they're usually not Best in class, like they're fast followers or they make acquisitions. I mean, Snapchat and Facebook's a great example um, of how suddenly you kept have stories on Instagram and, and pretty much added the features that, that you can find on Snapchat. Um, but it's, yeah, I've never really thought about, yeah, what if that model kind of evaporates? Uh, then what do those guys do for, for traffic? And actually in that vein, and the last story I want to touch on was uh, Facebook rolled out Workplace, which was it. Workplace is the official name of the beta product, Facebook at Work, that has been out and about for almost two years now. So another perfect example of, although this one's interesting because people's reaction to it is, well, I don't want to use it because you're just going to use all my internal company data to target ads, and Facebook's kind of saying, oh no, you know, we take privacy seriously, and they got all these mm-hmm. certifications from the UK, but, and they're charging one to three dollars per user So this actually does seem like they're attempting to move away from the the ad model, but I don't think people can kind of separate those two concepts. I certainly can't.
1: I used to have uh, some kind of acronym I, I dreamt up that uh, had to do with uh, your overlord threshold or something like that. And uh, I, so for, for why I would always just use Basecamp instead of adopting any of Google's new collaboration products. Um, you know, uh, I mean, it's, in one way, it's it's kind of fruitless to avoid these big guys um, at some level, but, you know, sometimes you just want something that's not attached to something else. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that that's certainly... Food for thought as to why a lot of folks wouldn't want to use uh, a workplace product in Facebook.
0: Well we used to call it the fear of Google or the fog we, uh, <laughs> because you know especially 10 years ago when Google uh, was kind of killing businesses left and right as they would you know any any business that was built on sharing information whether it was you know maps and listings or it was you know car shopping sites or price comparison you know one by one Google would kind of partner And then three years later, say, oh, well, we have enough data on our own now, thanks, and kind of replace. So every kind of executive team that we meet with would always have the fog, we call it, where, you know, I don't want Google to get my conversion data because I don't know if in three years they're going to be competing with me. And even though they say they don't use it, you know, I just don't trust them.
1: Yeah, and I get the problem with that becomes, uh, I get well, laziness is a big one, and then also uh, you know, some kind of game theory, I guess, uh, prisoner's dilemma or whatnot. It's easier for me to use, let's say I'm in the home improvement sector. Uh, well, I know 20 of my competitors are too lazy and they all use analytics. So Google's already got the data.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, that's true. And it's the the price is usually right because, you know, it's ad supported. So for, for that marketing team that hates their internal analytics, somebody on that team, you know, is like, well, I snuck a Google Analytics pixel on there and next thing you know, people like the reports they're getting and, and it's in. Um, great. Well, if uh, folks want to find more about you or the agency, uh, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, just uh, visit our website at pagezero.com. You can uh, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew underscore Goodman, e- elegant as that
0: may be. <laughs> and I think I'm going to try to find your, um, I don't know, I keep calling it a textbook, your ebook from the early days. The- and <laughs> Don't do it. Time's new Roman all the way. <laughs> great well i appreciate you coming on the ppc show this week uh, and we'll talk to you soon andrew yeah appreciate it take care bye-bye